from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 103. Upgrade is brought to you by Ring and Mac Weldon. I am Jason Snell. I am always here for Upgrade, but I don't always read the introduction. But Mike Hurley is on assignment in the United States of America, as he was for our last episode. So I'm enjoyed. I'm, I'm enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> My voice is being enjoyed right now. By Merlin Mann. Hi, Merlin. Freudian slip. You are enjoyed. You are. <laughs> you reside in my ear holes for so oh. much of the week. You're on so many damn shows. I hear. I hear pretty much all of them. Yeah, it's. Uh, there are many. It's true. It's true. It's affliction. I get to know the, the mini moods of Jason. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do I have many? Do I have many moods? Do they vary? Do they vary from week to week, or just from podcast to podcast? Oh, I think I've got your number. All right. I got, I've got your number pretty good. But there was no uh, no uh, TVTM this week. No, the TV talk machine was off this week because um, that's the podcast I did with Tim Goodman from The Hollywood Reporter. And they just finished. He was like in a hotel for 17 days in L.A. For the, for the summer press tour. He and, sounded great in that previous episode. I was walking down a hallway in a hotel at Disneyland listening to that, avoiding my mm-hmm. family. And I was thinking, man, that guy sounds he's, – I think he's really learned to pace himself. Yeah, yeah that, that was the trick is that he – this time he learned um, on day eight when they say, hey, Mariah Carey is going to be having cocktails to talk about her new Lifetime uh, special uh, that you go nope not gonna do that and you just say no and you go back to the room and you do a little bit of work and you 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 pace yourself and he learned that but when he was done with his two and a half weeks a uh, press tour he went on vacation last week so we just uh, let it go we let it's nice, let it's nice that, to get that, that that point in life where you realize that not every fact or announcement is an invitation yeah exactly yeah. you don't have to you don't have to hit all of that hit all mariah that tonight I have a little, I don't think it was actually Mariah Carey, but um, I just t- picked that one out of the hat because it's that idea. It's like it's a celebrity and you know who they are, but they're not big like they used to be, but they've got a show and you could meet them. And then you're like, yeah, I, I, there's no way. And you just let it go. I, I, I've done that with tech stuff, too, where they're like, we've got this sort of C-list celebrity who will be appearing. And I have that moment of like, well, it would be kind of cool to say I met that person. But I'm not interested in the product. I could see Huey Lewis in the news, yeah. or I could sleep. Well, okay, I live in Marin County. I can see, if I'm at the local Supercuts at the right time, I can see Huey Lewis. <laughs> True story. Well, thank you for having me on. I hope I can fill his large English shoes. Yes, yes, uh, I think so, absolutely. I'm glad to have you back. I have a little bit of follow-up. Um, thank you. The uh, I was in Memphis, uh, as people know who listened to Apple Grade 102. Mike and I did that sto- that uh, that episode live in person in Stephen Hackett's office. Stephen Hackett wasn't there because even if he was there, you wouldn't have heard him because he lost his voice completely. <laughs> um, and you can listen to you can listen to last week's episode of Connected to hear Stephen Hackett's voice two days later when it was actually much better and it's still like he was gargling. He was still pretty shredded. Glass, yeah. That's, was, that's a really good episode and a nice reminder. Listening to that was a nice reminder of how hard those two gentlemen work. Um, yeah, when they were answering questions about the second anniversary of Relay, mm-hmm. uh, it was really it was it was nice to hear. I was just you know because they do they do so much and they edit reconcilable differences. Mike does that for us, and they just do so much stuff. And I I don't blame them for saying we're not going to grow as fast this year. Mike uh, Mike told me about how he's the secret um, third. Uh, host of reconcilable differences to the point that um, that you you will just say things just for him during the broadcast <laughs> during the recording, knowing that it'll get it'll get cut out of the podcast, but it doesn't matter. It's just there to tell Mike things. You know he, that, he um, loves that, it. Yeah, well, you know the Stephen King book, a uh, wonderful book on writing, and mm-hmm. he talks about how his wife uh, Tabby is what he calls his first reader. He says everybody needs a first reader, somebody who's you know the right kind of critical about it. He's our first listener, so we have to think about spoiler warnings with him more than anybody else. Oh, yeah. And, you know, sometimes we'll throw in a sly reference. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He appreciates it. Yeah. As a, as a host, I just uh, I take it, and I assume Mike is like this too. Sometimes you just got to take it for the team. Like they're going to be spoilers. You're going to have to just deal with them. We'll talk about spoilers maybe a little bit later. So were you were you actually in the Bass Pyramid? Is that true? Yeah. Okay. So so among the things I did when I was in Memphis, which is the the first time I've been in that part of Tennessee, um, I've never seen the Mississippi River with my own eyes before, but I, I I did see that, and I saw it from atop the giant pyramid on the shores of the Mississippi in Memphis that used to be a basketball arena and is now a Bass Pro Shops. I did. Yeah. And and uh we we had a meeting. Uh we we had a Relay FM business meeting in the in the restaurant at the top of the pyramid. It was like 2 in the afternoon, so it wasn't like there was a there, we, a meal or something. I think we all had something to drink and we just sat there and chatted, but we were high atop the the giant Bass Pro Shops pyramid in mm. in Memphis. Was it was it stirring? Uh, it was nice. I've never had a business meeting on top of a pyramid before. The only time I've ever been on top of a pyramid before, quite honestly, was in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, nice. So, so this was nice. Of all the things I imagine having a pyramid about it, bass fishing isn't at the top of the list. Well, I mean, it really was this decommissioned, uh, basketball arena and they didn't know what to do with it. And the guys who started Bass Pro Shops, I think this is, this is an anecdote I heard in the pre-recorded audio that plays when you take the elevator up to the top of the pyramid. But, uh, it's like one of the founders of Bass Pro Shops saying they made a bet. Basically, if I catch this big catfish, we'll put a Bass Pro in that pyramid over there. And, uh, and we caught the catfish and here you are. It's basically (laughs) how the story goes. I call that a Tennessee contract, but it's pretty good. It's, uh, uh, it's uh, it's cool. It's not. I thought it would be like. Uh, have you ever been to the sports basement at the Presidio? Yeah. You ever been over there? Where it's sure. like it's the old uh, Presidio used to be an army. For those who don't know, an army base in San Francisco, and now it's a national park. And they've tried to, to in order to make it self sustaining, they've rented out space. And the old PX, the old commissary. So it's it's like where everybody did all their shopping and everything. It's this huge building, and it's now it's a sporting goods store. It's a sports basement. I thought my kids bike there. It's impossibly large. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and we that's my, I, I bought bikes there, and and we go there for like uh, we rent our skis there when we go skiing. We rent them because it's way cheaper. Turns out way cheaper to rent skis in san francisco than on a, a mountain where it snows because oh, there's not a lot of demand so um sports basement i thought bass pro shops would be like the sports basement which is huge but like just racks and racks of stuff like you know you got your i don't even know bass over here and your pros over here and uh <laughs> that was not it it's no it's like a it's like a theme park it's like a uh, there's a there's a, a a hotel there's like a five star hotel that's built on the inside of the Bass Pro Shop pyramid uh, with all this like w- wood it's very much like a hunting lodge kind of feeling there are there's water there's it's it's a little like the entrance to the Pirates of the Caribbean honestly oh, wow. uh, there's well, there's boats that that they sell at the Bass Pro Shops that are floating in water. And there's fish in the water. That's a good. That's a good use of that space. Yeah, I mean, they one and there's like a bowling alley, and there's a there's a there's a shooting range. Apparently, of course, there is, and uh, and there's lots of other like other businesses in. The, so you don't just like go there to, you can go there to pick up a a, a a vest or something, but you can also go there and it's like a a destination. It's like you can go to a bunch of different stuff or go have dinner or whatever. It's it was it was really interesting. So we had a business meeting in a pyramid. Hmm. True story. Huh. Um, and I have one piece of, fo- of content follow-up from episode 102, which is uh, hashtag Mike was wrong. <laughs> as brought to us by listener Justin, which is that Mike uh, said maybe the iPad mini should come in a 128 gigabyte configuration and actually does and has for a while now. So um, I, I said this mostly to stop the emails from coming. Yes, Mike was, Mike was wrong. Mike, did not, Mike was not aware. You can't stop the emails from coming. Of that, you can't. Well, you can only hope to contain them. Um, and then my other piece of, piece of uh, follow-up, piece of follow-up is about the specials. This is, of course, um, 
Relay's sort of uh, membership drive week, month, whatever. And we're releasing a whole bunch of different specials. Um, and the special for Upgrade, which was not out when we recorded last week, uh, is out now. It's the Upgrade Cortex special. Um, and that is me and Mike and CGP Gray, and we're playing what's uh, called a Parsley Adventure, which is like an old-school computer text adventure, And uh, except instead of having a computer, I am the computer. The Snellatron, and, right? Uh, uh-huh, and they, they have to... <laughs> 2,000, I think. And, uh, and they have to give me commands to try and solve a, a, a text adventure about the Old West. Um, and Relay members can go get that. And uh, It's way more fun than it sounds. Now, when you describe it like that, you know, I don't know if you're really selling it, but it's yeah. very, very funny to hear CGP Grey uh, interacting with you as a as a text adventure. It was, funny, and that was the first time I ever spoke to CGP Grey. We recorded that a few months ago, and and that was that was the first time I've ever actually sort of spoken to him one on one. It was a a lot of fun. I met him since then, but um, and it, it was good because they're trying to divine the secrets of the computer, and I'm sort of trying to be a computer. And at other points, I'm I, I'm hardly able to hold in my frustration with them at being bad players. <laughs> this is the old this is the old West. I don't know what a refrigerator is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, maybe we can look at the refrigerator. <laughs> what are you talking about? There is no refrigerator in the old West. Um, and if people did listen to that and liked it, I also wanted to point out, we did two of these on the Incomparable Game Show. Um, two of these episodes that were based on Parsley Adventures, both with Tony Sindelar as a computer. And you can go to the incomparable.com slash game show, which is maybe my favorite podcast that I do. Honestly, it is so fun and funny. Um, but there are two episodes in that run that are uh, that are uh, Action Castle and what's the other one? Jungle Adventure, I think. Uh, and and uh, the vibe's a little bit different, but it's very similar because uh, we're playing the same game. And, uh, and there's also a special uh, Reconcilable Differences episode with you and John. And uh, what, what, what's long, that one about? Yeah, this is like... The, the, I can... Well, first of all, I just want to say, hey, you know what? You should go join Relay. It's it's a, it's easy to do. You go to relay.fm slash membership. Membership, yep. And you sign up. Because you know what? I don't do this a lot, but we want your money. And it benefits everybody <laughs> in the network. I I, uh, I bought the all. I've, I've done it myself. I did $100, all the great shows package, because uh-huh. I want to support everybody. But if you enjoy these shows, it's a nice thing to do. And it and everybody gets a little bit of it, and it's it's a nice thing to do. But you also do – now, you know what John Syracuse says. If he did it, you get nothing. But in this case, you don't get nothing. You get something, which is I think almost every show is doing a special episode. Almost, yeah. So there was the – I just I – just, <laughs> you were on this. I just listened to Clock 4. To Clock 4. Okay, so that's another one that we did. It's Clockwise Plus Top 4. So it's me and Dan Morin and Marco and Tiffany Armand. And, and it's totally delightful. And we made lists. We, did, we went clockwise and made four lists of four. And I revealed my um, my dislike for salad, so you can check that one out too. Yeah, <laughs> I am not a rabbit. Uh, <laughs> I wanna I wanna say you should go and do that. And if you do that, you're gonna get something that people have been asking for for a long time, which is an episode of Reconcil- Reconcilable Differences, a show that John Syracuse and I do with our special guest John Roderick. And I think it's gonna end up being probably an episode plus an after dark, but it's three hours. So wow. I really I really recommend. And they talk about skiing for a really long time, but it's, I thought it was really fun. I thought it turned out great. Uh, and you know what though, that's, that's, that's a nice freebie, but if you, if you enjoy these podcasts and you don't want, you know, podcasting to turn into some kind of horrible monstrosity, support it with things like this. If you've got the money, uh, you know, kick a little in and if you don't, that's okay. We're just happy that you listen. And when we launched the membership, I know that uh, people were complaining. It's like, oh, are you going to do a pledge break every week to talk about it? And the answer is no. Actually, this is the way that the plan was meant to work all along is that now that it's launched, 
once a year around Relay birthday time in August, we'll all do specials and talk about them and that they're out there. And that's it. And then we just do them the rest of the year. And we appreciate everybody's support. And uh, we made some extras for the people. And and I do that for the Flophouse. I don't know if you do that, where I I support Maximum Fun. And one of the reasons that I do that is I wanted to support the Flophouse. But another reason is that I want their bonus episode that they do. And uh, those they've done three of them, actually. And and they're great. And they're a lot of fun. And I feel like that's a great deal to support my favorite podcast. And I also get something back. So, But we won't won't do this every week. So. Uh, let me, let me talk about a sponsor and then we'll go into our topic. Cause I want to talk to you about, uh, this is, this is an episode topic generated by, uh, Twitter, a Twitter conversation, which I think was really interesting where literally I knew I needed to find a guest host and I was thinking of asking you. And then we had a back and forth about, uh, rating things and reviewing things. And I thought, aha, that's a topic we could talk about on upgrade. So let's do it. But first I want to tell you about our first sponsor. How about that? Uh, this episode of Upgrade brought to you by the Ring Video Doorbell. With Ring, you can see and talk to anyone at your door from anywhere in the world, all using your smartphone. You can protect your home and your loved ones today. Go to ring.com. What a great domain. Ring.com slash upgrade. For a limited time, you'll get $50 off the Ring of Security kit. Now, there are home burglaries happening all the time, even in broad daylight. They'll ring your doorbell, maybe, to see if you're uh, if you're there or not. They'll probably fake something up if you answer the door and if you're not there then they know nobody's home the ring video doorbell uh can stop burglaries before they happen because it lets you see and speak to anyone approaching your door using your smartphone whether you're there or not and they have advanced motion detection technology to protect your property with the ring of security kit including a ring video doorbell for the front door and a ring stick-up cam which is a wireless weatherproof hd camera to keep an eye on other parts of your property they take just minutes to install and then they work together providing 24 7 monitoring of your whole home, home, whether you're in the living room or on the other side of the world. So join the hundreds of thousands of people who protect their home with Ring. Now, for a limited time, again, listeners of Upgrade can save $50 off that whole Ring of Security kit, the lowest price you'll find anywhere. Go to ring.com slash upgrade for 50% off. That's ring.com slash upgrade. And thank you so much to Ring for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Mike usually does those, but it was me. You did great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, reviews and ratings. So this, I got into this conversation uh, and, and, and you and I were going back and forth with some other people on Twitter. Uh, with, it started with, with a conversation Todd was having. Yeah, it's our friend Todd Vaziri who works at Industrial Light and Magic and uh, is a heck of a nice guy. Um, and he, so he's in the business you know he's in actually in the entertainment industry and he follows this stuff like he'll he'll frequently toot out some very interesting charts yeah just saw of, one today about uh, yeah, about box great. office or and like rotten tomatoes right? yeah exactly exactly and and uh he oh got those into box a, office mojo rankings uh inflation adjusted rankings of franchises and things those are blow my mind and i always see those through todd yeah exactly so um so todd uh, was actually replying to and finishing on a, a chain that's something that was a tweet that started with a guy named Scott Derrickson who said, if you look at rot- Rotten Tomatoes scores without reading selected reviewers that you respect, you're doing it wrong. You and cinema deserve better. And Todd's follow-up to that was, absolutely, it's a shame how so many folks misinterpret and oversimplify what the Rotten Tomatoes score actually means. And I thought this would be an interesting topic because um, reviews are everywhere. That's one thing. People are trying to find information 
information about what they should do in terms of consuming entertainment, in terms of buying products. And I am somebody who, and, and I hadn't really thought about it this way, but the fact is, for like 25 years now, one of the things that I've done professionally is evaluate things and for most of that time, slap a number on my you evaluation. You give a certain number of mice. Right, exactly. Right? The mice. Oh, the mice, right? I mean, and, and from the very, from 1990, when was that? 1993, 94, I've been applying mice to things and until like, uh, well, actually, I think I applied a mouse rating to something like last year. So it, it, it still it still happens occasionally when I write for Macworld. So rating things and giving ratings is something that we do and people can rely on it. But it's, uh, you know, it's problematic in so many different ways. And mm-hmm. I know when yeah. when I talked to you about this, you you said I'm very excited about this. And then I checked our, our uh, little document about what we were going to talk about today, and it was full of things. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I was very interested in it because I, I've been I I've been thinking about it a lot because you're right. Everything, so many things have ratings. But you know, if we just take a tiny step back, if okay. you go beyond even just reviews and ratings, just to look at metrics. You know, sure. almost everything we look at, we cannot help but see. Some kind of a ranking or you think about you know, even something like Twitter followers. Like when you're thinking about some rando contacts you and you're thinking about like, should I, should I respond to this? Especially if it's something kind of unkind. I frequently look at how many followers that person has. If they've got like five followers, I'm not going to get in a big toss with them because, you know, it's just they're probably just a troll. Mm. That sounds silly. But I mean, what I'm trying to get at though is whether it's the iTunes store or it's Netflix or Amazon, stuff that I use, all of which I use a lot, uh, you can't help but see a rating for something. And I think it's extremely difficult for it not to have some effect on you in one way or another. Um, and I guess I guess I have <laughs> my opening statement here. The main thing I just, I, I, I'm really of two minds because I, I realize how weird and wrong and broken and easily abused reviews and ratings are. And I think we have many examples here to talk about. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I still rely on them. If I'm in a new town, <laughs> yeah. I don't think twice about looking at the Yelp score. Absolutely. You know, you know what my feelings about Yelp are? Dying a fire. Like, I really don't like Yelp. I don't like their business practices. And I know their reviews are mega, mega broken in many ways. But if you've got six otherwise undifferentiated places, what do you do? Pick by the name? It's, yeah. like, it's like betting on a sports team based on the uniforms. So even though I don't like that, I still look at that. And so I guess I'm, I want to talk about and unpack what it is that feels broken and abused about ratings and reviews, which I think we will contrast, but then also like why it is we still end up using them even when we don't mean to. I, I, not to jump too far ahead, but you me- you mentioned Yelp, and I've never used Yelp a lot. But on our on our um, we took a family trip last summer, and we drove to basically to Seattle and back, a family road trip over the course of about eight nine days. And one of the things that I decided, kind of on the fly, that I would try to do is have us not eat at a chain restaurant at any point mm-hmm. on that. Like eat at people's houses. Um, even if we had to break in and no, uh, eat at people's houses and eat at like restaurants that are the, the local places. It's so much harder than it sounds. And Yelp is, Yelp is the way I did that. And, and it was interesting because I have, we, we are going to talk about this. I have, I, my, I, my feelings about Yelp are very similar to my feelings about Goodreads, uh, which is that <laughs> they are mostly, you know, amateur reviews, which is okay, except that they're compromised by some, 
issues about amateur reviewers and what what brings somebody to decide to be an amateur reviewer. But um, but I, I I never really did I trust Yelp. Uh, sort of, it's a little bit like how I trust Rotten Tomatoes, which goes back to the the point that 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 first tweet made, which is I kind of trust them a little in the aggregate to understand that it's really a very hazy, um, non-specific. Uh, idea about a place or a, a, or a movie or whatever that it's it's more about um it's generally liked or this thing this thing doesn't seem to be generally hated and here's some information about it oh and it's open and here's the menu and using it as a research tool but not as the gospel and and that that worked pretty well we went to one place uh, early on that was not very good and then after that every every place we picked was was uh was pretty great um, and, and so Yelp was a factor in that, but individual Yelp reviews were not really what did it. It was more, cause you know, you dig into the reviews and then you see this all, is exactly, all the ax grinders. Are you're, in you're exactly hitting it. I mean, I've felt for years that one of the problems with Yelp, well, one of the benefits of Yelp is that you can rate other raters, which I think is a very interesting idea or look at how many, <laughs> how much Wuffy they have on the system. But you know, the one problem with Yelp is people use it like a blog. Like you know, people who go to oh. SF State, they just that's like their it's like their blog about dim sum, basically. You know, let me tell you how angry I was about this bent fork that I got at this place. It's like, wow, this is a really interesting tone poem about cutlery, but <laughs> but and also like if that's the if that's the first month that place is open and you get you get your table full of people to go in and leave five bad reviews, that has an incredible impact on that on that place. And I don't know how much recourse there is, but you know, okay, so. I think, well, maybe, you know, I have this habit of taking over your shows. Have you ever noticed that? No, I have. Or I, have. I try anyway. This is why I deploy you tactically. <laughs> I think it's beneficial, though, to, I mean, to, I feel like my real beef in some ways is with ratings. Yeah. Like star ratings, number yes. ratings. But I think we should talk a little bit about reviews because they have such an impact. Reviews, I mean, you go and I, I personally, I don't read reviews for podcasts. I do. I just I can't. Oh yeah, I don't. Um, eat, I don't either. Well, I know a lot of people who are there like like all the time and like screenshotting the ones. First that off, they don't. first off, it's not for you, right? I mean, that, I feel like I feel like if you're looking at podcast reviews as a some sort of a, a curative, like it's supposed to be a correctional thing, like let me give you feedback on how you can change your podcast. It's like I just don't view them that way. I view them as it's people uh, talking to other potential listeners about their feelings, and that's fine. Uh, and if I really have no idea what I'm doing, I suppose I would look at the reviews, but it's like I kind of know the show I want to make, and if people don't like it, then that's fine because... Well, it's like trying to find a date on a bathroom wall. It's just like <laughs> that's not where I would go for that particular kind of information. I, I get why it's there and I can but really frequently a lot of times reviews something I'm sure we'll talk about is the uneven distribution of the way that reviews yeah. work if, especially if they have a rating associated with them like you know what would happen if we threw out every review in the world that was one star and every review that was five stars yeah I mean just just for the sake of argument if we threw if you hid all of those on a site you'd have a much more interesting site because I think t- people tend to go and vote up the stuff that they like and I think they tend to go and vote down the stuff they don't if you don't have a strong feeling about something whether it's a podcast or a, a Dutch oven you're not going to go leave a three-star review about it probably unless you're mad like, I don't think, you know what I mean? Unless you're very yep. mad or very excited, most people don't do that. I mean, that's the worst part of this. I, I have maybe left, I, you'd have to go look on the page, but maybe two or three Yelp reviews ever. So that should tell me something. The fact that I'm not contributing to that um, should well, be kind of a, 
you know, bellwether. There's a there's a, a bias inherent in it, which is you've got people who know the proprietors who want to talk it up, or they've been paid by the proprietors, and then you've got people who are angry, and they want to let it out. They had a bad experience, and it's very rare. So, you know, if um, if my family and I have a nice dinner at the Lost Coast Brewing Company in Eureka on our way back to San Francisco, which we did last year. Um, and I, I, you know, we're having a nice time and I've had a couple of beers and we're going to go back to the hotel room and watch a movie and then go to sleep and drive home the next day. I, I It's probably not likely that I'm going to say, even though I used Yelp to find the place, probably not going to say... Uh, let me stop and write a review, right? I'm just going to let it go. We had a fine time. It was nice. Maybe it wasn't perfect. There were some things about it that I liked and didn't like, um, but I'm just not going to do it. If right. they, if they, you know, spill a whole pitcher of iced tea in your lap and cook your medium steak till it's burned, then maybe you you have enough of your you know, of your dander up to write an angry one-star review and that ends up being what you see is the people who have been offended in some way and not the people who are just your regular everyday people because it's not a scientific survey right it's people who go out of their way to self-selecting it is and unless you consider yourself for example and i think this does happen on yelp there are people who uh have decided that they're gonna review all of the let's say Chinese restaurants or Thai restaurants or something mm. like that. And in that case, those are the kind of folks that might be out applying some B minuses to things. Yeah, yeah, most totally. people don't have time to assign B minuses in life <laughs> because there's not any, there's not anything really to be gained from that to just say, it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, what would my review of that, of that brew pub be? It would be something like, um, it was a little crowded, but we got in fairly early. There was a there was like a a big uh, like kite of a shark that was hanging from the ceiling that was kind of interesting. Um, the beer was good, the food was fine. Uh, my kids had a good time, and we left. Like, okay, great story. Um, three stars, right? I mean, it's just like right, what right. it's. It, it, what do I even have to contribute at that point? But that that is that is part of the crowdsourcing uh, challenge. Is is I, I do believe that if you had everybody. Uh, fill out a five-star rating at the end of their meal regardless, and it was just anonymous and put into the internet, that you would probably get a pretty good idea of how good that place was, but that's a fantasy, because that's just never going to happen, and and Yelp is not the the thing that uh, has solved that and made it that, that we live in that world now, because, again, it's only the people who self-select who do that. Yeah, yeah, and and I think this this gets us, this will eventually, I guess, get us into the ratings part of it, but I think I think it's worth breaking down when i think about what you know what is a review for well for a long time film criticism was considered you know a kind of art where it was in the days before let's say arbitrarily siskel and ebert mm. like back in the day you'd have whatever vincent canby or you know roger ebert back in the day or uh who's the lady? janet maslin yeah and the other one i'm always forgetting everybody's gonna yell at me oh uh, yeah you know who i mean that one lady but yeah, um i know that but lady. it was more a way it was really closer to film criticism in some ways you know, and but but you know when you started following somebody like Roger Ebert, once you understood Roger Ebert's like uh, approach or ethos, mm-hmm. I found it very useful when he would. I mean, I, I can't quote this from memory, but I think he once said something along the lines of that he he grades a movie based on how well it executed what it was trying to do. 
yeah. which enabled him to not just give, you know, what does not mean just because it's an 80s college comedy, it's going to get one star. And just because, you know, it's a Bergman movie, it gets five. It's, you know, and I, I think stuff like that can be very useful. I mentioned here that, you know, with, with uh, what's his name, Mick LaSalle. Mick LaSalle is just about perfect for me because no matter what he says about a movie, I always feel almost the opposite. Yeah. And then that becomes useful. The, the, the Mick LaSalle test is amazing. That's the San Francisco Chronicle movie critic. And, and I have the same thing. I've talked to other people about that too, that, that for a lot of people, Mick LaSalle is like the perfect anti-critic like if he really likes something you got to be wary and if he hates something you probably might you might like it um you know not 100 percent, but um that's true and and ebert you know is a good example of somebody who's calibrated his rating system he he would do like um he gave a good rating to uh rambo first blood part two he gave a good rating to Benji the Hunted, and people are like, what, what, "What's wrong with you?" And he yeah, would these say, are, "These aren't art. These aren't art you know, movies." Benji the Hunted is a kids movie about a dog, and it's a pretty good kids movie about a dog. Rambo: First Blood Part Two is this over the top machine gun action movie, and it's pretty good at what it at what it sets out to do. And I mean, that goes back to context, though, right? Because in the end, yeah. on 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 Siskel and Ebert, it was a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And I, I, on one level, that seems atrocious. Like I, I know, and I know a lot of film critics got bent out of shape about having them boil it down to, to a yes or no. But on another level, I felt like that was actually a really radical notion on their part, that they were really saying, look, at some point, a rating system is so pointless that we're just going to tell you whether it's worth seeing or not, and we're going to walk away at that point. And and, and Ebert said many times um, he hated rating systems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was, it was not... Arguably what he's best known for. Yeah, right. Like the thumbs up and thumbs down. I think, I yeah. don't know if they exactly invented that, but I think they Oh, it's a trademark that. of, of, uh, of uh, Gene Siskel... Uh, I think, uh, or uh, or the Siskel and Ebert Corporation, or something like that. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a trademark thing. Um, and so every time you use a thumbs up emoji, no, that's not true. Um, but uh, it's I think that's really interesting though that the idea that that um, somebody who's famous for quantifying things at that simple level actually was kind of they they they, they didn't like it. But the, the reality was the context. Like I said, you know, the personal philosophy of a person with a rating is going to determine what the rating is. And so you can't compare them between not even like at the San Francisco Chronicle. Could you compare them? Because Mick LaSalle doesn't review all the movies. There are other reviewers there, too. They also don't use stars. They use a cartoon of a little man, which I is a little man. But even yeah. even our, our good friend, uh, Tim Goodman, I, um, you know, it's he is clearly so not interested. And obviously, I'm a fan and constant listener of your show. So I know I know that there are just some things where he's like, I'm going to let the other guy do this or the kid, the kid will take care of this. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to do sci-fi. I'm not going to do, you know, I'm not going to keep following Doodlebug or whatever. But he has a pretty strong feeling about like, what's even sort of what even should be on his radar screen. Yeah. I, be, I, I want to follow up on one thing you said, though, that I think is really smart, which is that, you know, I almost think I almost think in terms of like the way we measure podcasts, because whether or not you want to measure elements of your podcast and how it's downloaded and so forth. You kind of need to, if you're going to have sponsors, you have to give them something. Sure. Now, I think this is changing, probably in ways I won't always be happy with. But in the past, something that has been consistent is there are mm, two, three, four different ways or companies or methods that you can use. And the nice thing about, for example, PodTrack, the nice thing about PodTrack is, is PodTrack perfect? Is it the exact number of downloads? No, it's not, but it's consistent. And that's what makes PodTrack useful is every, if everybody's using PodTrack and they're not, you know, uh, deliberately gaming the system, 
PodTrack, and which I think it even accounts for, PodTrack will give you a good conservative number of how many downloads you have. They've recently added audience, which is super interesting. In the last week or so, they've added audience to their statistics. So you can see how many users you've had in the last month. Stuff like that is useful. But even though that's not perfect, it works because everybody's using that system in the same way. But what your point, I thought, that's super interesting is, like, this stuff all works. You know, if you, if you go to the homepage of Rotten Tomatoes and you say, show me what's opening this weekend, mm-hmm. or show me what's new on DVD, or whatever. Well, you know what? That's actually pretty good. If you do a quick glance, if you know you want to see a movie, or in my case, like, I know my sweet overworked wife needs a, needs a day, well, we'll probably go downtown and see a movie. So we're going to see a movie. So I'm looking for red <laughs> on yeah. that page. So like the thing is, if there's, uh, I mean, t- let's take the kid part out for a minute, but there's going to be five or six new movies that open. You know, if four of them are green, meaning they, you know, are below whatever, uh, 60%, something like that. And there's one that's like uh, got the red tomato and has like a 90%. Well, at that point, that totally makes sense, kind of. You go, well, clearly, you know, and I guess we should talk a little bit about how Rotten Tomatoes works. But in that case, you know, as against these other movies, clearly there's one movie that's better than the others. What's fascinating, though, to me, I mentioned this in the notes here, when you drill down onto a detail page for a movie, especially I, I feel like with blockbusters, you might get a, uh, like a summer blockbuster that's, say, 80% fresh. 75, 85, maybe even 90% fresh. Yeah. What's, and I think this is Todd's point. What's crazy is go in and read the pull quotes Mm -hmm. next to that red tomato, and they are often, uh, they sound like a negative review, or they're maybe kind of diffident at best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- this is the problem with it because you're aggregating something that's already a uh, question mark in terms of the score, especially, uh, you know, sometimes they'll use the rating system and sometimes they'll use the words of the of the reviewer. But what what Rotten Tomatoes wants is a yes or a no. And Metacritic is a little different, right? Metacritic tries. Well, well we should I think we should say this. because I'm not sure everybody knows this. The All way right. Rotten Tomatoes works. It's, it's my understanding. And we'll, we have a page of notes that points to this. It's my understanding <laughs> that somebody at Rotten Tomatoes goes in and looks at that review. If it's a you know, three, four, or five-star review, or, you know, in that range, that that's considered a positive review. Yes. Based on the rating that they gave it, mm-hmm. that's considered a positive review. And like you said, they might have to kind of read through it and sort of interpret from words what it was. But they assign it basically a score of, was this a positive review or was this a negative review? That's what the red or the green means on a movie. Now, this is the part I think Todd was pushing back on. The problem is, when you go in and say, like, oh, this, this movie got an 82%. Well, it got 82% of what? Well, yeah. what it got was 82% quote-unquote positive reviews. Even if those reviews are shot through with all kinds of provisos and go like, oh, yeah, I guess it's good for a dumb summer movie. And you, you, and you see those all the time, where you, you may get a movie that gets 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the 60% who liked it loved it and think it's a masterpiece and it's to be taken seriously as a great work of art. And then you get a, you get a movie that's a summer movie and the reviews are all like, yeah, it's fine. It delivers, you know, it does, it does what it, it, it was meant to do. And, uh, that's not, that's got a higher Rotten Tomatoes score, but is it really better thought of by critics than the other movie? Probably not, but yeah. that's not, and, and, that's not why is what it, Rotten Tomatoes why is, is it, for. Why is it 30% lower on Metacritic? Like, what's their and problem? That, and, that, and that's the difference, is that Metacritic is trying to come up with a score, and this is a lot easier if you provide your own score, but some don't. And and then they have somebody who co- come 
comes in and reads the review basically and assigns a score based on their reading of the review and the and the textual analysis of the review and they they aggregate based on that so uh rotten tomatoes will look at a mick lasalle review and say positive and metacritic will look at a mick lasalle review and say six out of ten and those are different and 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 so you get you get a better sense of sentiment from metacritic and mm-hmm. a better sense of sort of overall trend of positive versus negative from rotten tomatoes both of them have their i think aspects of validity um i actually think that one of the problems with metacritic is that i'm not sure i trust the decisions they make about how they summarize reviews how they how they come right. to those ratings do, do they wait do they wait for um like for example when you go to rotten tomatoes you you can have fast assets to see like just top reviewers does metacritic give extra weight to like professional reviewers the bigger the paper do you know if i don't they, know they weight it based on that i don't know that i'm not sure i do know that the the there's a very fat middle and i've seen this on charts there's a chart linked in the show notes here about fandango, <laughs> fandango oh. versus imdv uh versus metacritic versus rotten tomatoes and the thing is like there's most uh it seems like most of the metacritic movies like you're not going to see many movies uh, that are going to get ninety percent. That is very unusual, well, right? Because it, it's not likely that all critics gave it a rave and five stars, right? That that doesn't that doesn't happen. Whereas it's fairly easy for Star Trek Beyond to get an eighty three on Rotten Tomatoes, and and I've seen I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan, and I've seen Star Trek Beyond. And would I say that it's a eighty three percent of a good movie? I would not. I my review of it would be like. It's fine, right? And and the fact is, I read a lot of Star Trek Beyond reviews. They're all kind of like that. They're like, it's fine, you know, it's fine, <laughs> and and yet it's eighty three percent fresh, certified fresh, right? right? But but that that what does that mean? Whereas on Metacritic, the problem I have with Metacritic is that I'm not sure I believe them when they read a review and say this is a seven out of ten, like. Somebody somebody read somebody else's review and then gave it a score of how they feel the sentiment came out of it. But, you know, this goes back. I know we're kind of wandering a little bit here, but this goes back to the point. I think that's also a large point, which is uh, these are not um, people running the 100-yard dash where there's a number to the thousandth of a second or the hundredth of a second that tells you the difference between first place and eighth place. These are um, numbers generated by squishy um, sentiment. And as somebody who assigned mice to products for years, that's the part that always stops yes. me cold a little bit is that it, it's, I was, so I was explaining this to my kids, um, the other night. So, so Saturday night we, um, had dinner and it was a blue apron, not a sponsor, not a sponsor. Call me blue apron. Um, but we're, we're blue apron, uh, a family for about a year now. And we were having a conversation about how, what we ought to do is rate the blue apron meals. Like, my son ha- is a picky eater, and my daughter is okay with kind of everything. I'm kind of a picky eater, and my wife is kind of okay with everything. So we have different perspectives, and we discussed ratings, and we ended up in this whole discussion of what the rating system was, and whether you would be out of five or out of ten, would you allow half steps, all of these things that were absolutely, I've been in, literally been in meetings where people have argued about this as part of my job back in the day. And, and we ended up with a uh, five-star rating system with no halvesies because I feel like it forces you to make some decisions instead of kind of half-assing it and, and being like, well, it's three and a half. It's fine, right? And instead, it's like, no, you got to choose. Is it three? Is it four? Is it five? What is it? Um, but, uh, and, and good good news, everybody. I think the I think we got two fours and two... Th- Three fours and a three. It was good. It was a good, pretty good dinner. So hooray for the for for Blue Apron dinners. But it 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 allowed me to talk to my kids about the concept of significant figures, 
which I kept thinking of in, the, in, in terms of what you and I are talking about today, which is this idea that if you only measure anything to a tenth or a, or a, or a, or a half or a, a, an integer, something that's super squishy, but you aggregate out 15 different things. And we used to do this all the time, Macworld and Mac user and PC world used to do this a lot where you have like 15, eight, 20 different ways you measure a product. And they're all like out of 10, let's say. And then you add, you have a formula and you add them all together and you get this incredibly precise number. Like th- this got an 81.5. The truth is it is a precise number generated by incredibly imprecise numbers that are themselves in some cases a judgment call right and, right, and, right and the the rule of significant figures teaches us you don't pretend to have more precision than you actually have and i could argue something like metacritic is actually failing the rule of significant figures and, and you could maybe even argue that rotten tomatoes even though it's got a binary it's got a boolean like is it good or is it bad also fails it because you know, writing a review of uh, uh, something that's completely, um, completely subjective is there's no precision, right? Like you, it's an art, and so then we're trying to apply a number to art and put it on a chart. And I'm not sure that's possible, which is not to say that I don't use Rotten Tomatoes. It's just, I feel like you've got to at least call it what it is, which is a really gross approximation of the general sentiment. I mean, how many ways can I, can I defuse this? The general sentiment of a right. group of movie critics. That's like, I've backed all the way out of the authority of Rotten Tomatoes and said, it's something you can look at, but don't take it too seriously. But I think, you know, you're right, they're all over the map, but at the same time, there's a thread that runs through all of this, which which I think is, is there, how much context is there to what you're looking at? Which is, in my case, why I really, if you're going to have ratings, whether it's stars or numbers, I would, I would like to understand, well, first of all, if you're going to give a number like 75, <laughs> well, does that mean it's 75% successful? It was 75% entertaining. It was 75% a good value. So that's why, you know, looking at things like, I think, I want to say like DP Review, the, the photo site, but places that offer you facets. Because even, okay, even with something as simple as like rating Blue Apron, yeah. um, I mean, just to problematize it, well, okay, so really what you're saying is how much did we enjoy eating this? Yeah. Which is totally, that's certainly a primary marker of like what you would want to evaluate for a meal. How about how hard was it to make? How about how, how healthy was it? How, how about did, does it have milk in it because somebody in the house has an allergy? Well, do we just throw that one out because it had milk in it? Well, probably. But like if you don't account for all of those things, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to communicate anything useful to people unless you can help them understand yeah. why it might be right for them. And you said useful there, which I think is actually an important point here too, which is uh, the other question you always have to ask yourself is what is the rating used for? Like our Blue Apron rating is partially just for fun we thought we would try it and i think partially influences um decisions about whether we'll make it again like it gets gets my kids to really ponder how much did you really enjoy this and if it's a, well, it's also a macguffin i yeah, mean it's sure. a MacGuffin in some ways because basically you're gonna go hey it turns out that there's this there's these two meals that most of us like and that's really good to know right so i mean that's 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 not a bad thing but, but so like yeah. a yelp a yelp review the point is sort of not to get your anger out it's to help other diners decide whether they should go there. And Rotten Tomatoes, the point is, it's to help moviegoers decide, is this a movie I should like or not? What do people generally think? And I feel like that's why Rotten Tomatoes is really useful when a movie's between, like, 
flop house territory and like 30 percent or if a movie's like 70 to 100 or even 60 to 100 because that's the level where it's sort of like yeah people mostly liked it or people (laughs) mostly didn't like it. what number what number arbitrary jason snell what arbitrary number do you give to faithful findings oh well faithful findings is a zero but it's a very interesting (laughs) zero there's so many asterisks on a scale of zero zero to infinite it's a zero (laughs) but uh but it's still an interesting it's an interesting failure but it it is it is a failure i I have to say um but i I don't know i'll tell you this too as somebody who doesn't see a lot of movies since we had kids we I, i don't see a lot of movies i am positive that there's a movie out there that i have a bad opinion about purely from other people writing about it, purely from aggregation sites like Rotten Tomatoes, that in reality, if I had seen it, it would have been one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I, I have no doubt that that movie exists. There, it, It's nestled among 300 terrible movies, and that's the truth of it, is I can't watch all the movies and find the diamonds in the rough. I only get to see 15 movies a year or whatever. I need to not have them be losers. Um, but I have no doubt that that's all that, that Rotten Tomatoes is telling me when it says 15% is 15% of critics thought this was okay and the rest of them hated right. it. It's not a 15% chance that I might love it. I might I might really love it. I just am not willing to put that on myself and, and take a chance on it. Well, I'm a bad father, so <laughs> I watch a, a lot, a lot of movies. And this actually this actually came up like last night um so oh i just have to also <laughs> something i mentioned in that thread with todd you used to watch letterman do yeah. you remember when letterman it was around the time the flash dance came out do you remember he invited a professional like veteran welder onto the show to do a review of flash dance yes and, like, that, that's what i think about now every time i i think about movie ratings is like it depends on what you're looking for in a movie like you know if you're like a foot fetishist you might not like this movie that's going to affect your ratings for it but like last night for example my daughter was away for the night with some visiting with some friends and um and so we had you know free reign to just do stuff and i watched two movies last night i watched um i rented rented actually two movies off itunes um the new warner herzog documentary it's essentially about the internet mm-hmm. and a movie called Imperium um, starring Daniel Radcliffe. And if, if you had done um, a cinema score, well, not a cinema score, but you know, if basically before I went in the theater, you said to me, rate these movies before you've seen them. You know what I would have said? I would have said Warner Herzog, four and a half stars, probably. I haven't seen it yet, but, but no one Warner Herzog, four and a half stars. Mm, you know, uh, Daniel Radcliffe as an undercover FBI agent, solid three. And then I saw the movies. The Warner Herzog movie was fine. It was not super insightful. It was great because it was Warner Herzog, and it's just great to hear him talk. But like that movie, and it's, it's very prestigious. It's getting very good reviews. But in my case, especially as a guy who knows a little bit of stuff about the internet, it didn't really land with me. I, I thought a lot of it was a little bit, little bit touchy-feely, a little too deep on technology at some parts and not deep enough in others. And my wife, okay, it's my wife who actually turns out was uh recovering from a migraine yesterday ended up watching the entire run of stranger things last night and she's kept pointing out to me the different snells that she found 
because I told her I told her about your problems with it. And she's like, oh, this. Oh, yeah. The, the, they would never the, say stick in the snow. butt. That's a total snow. It, it's a, a, an anachronism. <laughs> the, the an douche, anachronism. He, saying we're going to chill and he's a douchebag, which are not things that peop, that kids in the mid 80s said. Or, yeah, or, or stick in the butt. But, but yeah. I, the reason I mentioned that there is like, okay, so like I mentioned Stranger Things because in your case, like I thought it was masterful. You were, it seems like in Slack you were saying it felt like it, you were really taken away from it by how distracting those things were. Yeah. Even though you could appreciate on some level what was happening with the story and the homages sure that was too much for you well i don't know about too much because i've kept watching it but, but like how do you put a rating on that how do you how do you yeah. put a rating on that to say well you know here's five asterisks for, <laughs> yeah. like, if you're super familiar with dungeons and dragons you may not the, like this the, that was i mean uh, honestly this is this is something that reviewers struggle with and i think i think this is actually an interesting andy and i kind i have had long conversations about this before the idea of your responsibility when you're a reviewer and thinking philosophically as silly as this is thinking philosophically about like if you're in a rating system what your ratings mean if you have to assign a number to a review i'm very happy now that the mean man who runs sixcolors.com does not require me to do a numerical <laughs> rating um because uh it's freeing to not have to worry about that anymore and i, I would never impose one it's just like no never but um if you have one you have to think about it Philosophically, and I think that's where it's interesting when you have citizen reviewers because some of them think about it and internalize their code and they go with it. Other people don't think about it, and you can it just comes straight from you. Can, you can tell, and then there are also those people which I like to call Goodreads reviewers who have thought about it and would like to share your, their entire rating system with you at the top of every review they write. Where it's like, well, Goodreads doesn't really allow me to do half rating, so this would be a four and a half. But since it's not a four, I can't do that because of this one aspect of the main character i'm going to give it a four but trust me it's in my personal database it's a four and a half it's like all right i get it i get you've got a system you got to move on but you do have to internalize that system and you do have to have one like at MacWorld, we always had that where people would get three out of five and they'd be bent out of shape they'd be like i can't believe you only gave us three mice that's a negative review and it's like no actually for us three is fine. Three is the lowest rating you can get, and it still be a recommendation. Uh, it was. It's flawed, but uh, you could still get it, and it would be fine because it's a it's a recommendation. And right. I get I, I get the it's not uh, as positive a recommendation as I would like. But we would get a lot of it's negative. It's like no, it's not. It's not a bad well, review. That's the Uber, dude. This is the Uber problem. This is exactly the, 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 is the please give my please give my manager five stars and say I did a five star job otherwise I'm going to lose my job. It's like the that when you go to the car dealership, yeah. five stars on everything, uh, four stars is a failure, five yeah. stars on everything. I, I I don't know if this is true uh, or if this is just like a you know an urban myth, but supposedly if you don't maintain a four point seven average on Uber, you are subject to being fired. And like you know, when's the last time you really got a five star ride? I mean, like where it was where, <laughs> I mean, if you're somebody like a John Syracuse type, like five stars, like yeah. wow, I've, I've given about two of those ever. It's almost like five uh, mic reviews. I need to leave for uh, hip hop albums. Like I, that, five, five, five stars to me is as a political statement. I need that to leave the Uber with two new books that are going to change my life when I read them. That's a five star Uber ride for me. But I understand that it's not, you know, it's not designed for me. Because again, for me, we were in an accident. Three, he set my arm five stars. <laughs> three is the baseline, and yeah. then they have to do, they have to work on things to get it up to five. It didn't still, it didn't smell like smoke, and they didn't make racist jokes. Yeah, that's right. Three stars. Three stars. That's How much right. more time you got for this? Because I got a lot more. Uh, let's. We got lots we of time, but we're going to take soon. a break. Uh, yeah. How about that? Uh, tell, tell me about something you like. I want to tell you about something awesome. It, it's Mac Weldon. 
Uh, Mack Weldon, better than whatever you're wearing right now, they like to say. And I like to say, um, I have Mack Weldon products. I have the Mack Weldon underwear. I have the Mack Weldon socks. They are very high quality. In fact, when I first did my Mack Weldon sponsorship on TV Talk Machine, I want to say, they gave me a little coupon to buy some stuff. And this is what I have to say about that. I went back and bought more stuff with my own money because it was that good. And so that's my that's my endorsement. It was good enough that I went past the podcast try it out phase to the I need to actually, this is costing me money now because I need to buy this stuff. Great socks, little stripes. I love them. Uh, high quality underwear. They also have shirts. I think they've got, uh, I think they may have hoodies too. They definitely got underwear, socks, and shirts. Um, their website's really uh, well designed, easy to use. You go in, click on the stuff you want. It's got uh, what the what the sizes are and all the styles. Uh, and then you check out. It's really fast, very convenient to do this. And it's risk-free. Uh, if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it they don't want it back they really don't you you wore it you, you can keep it but they'll refund your money anyway so you it's no questions asked you can you know and yes you can keep that pair of underpants that you don't like if you want but i like that because most things on the web um i, I think you get that added fear of like i i don't have have it in my hands i don't i don't see it what does this mean and so just being able to allay that fear and say no no if you don't like it We'll give you your money back. It's not a problem. Um, they've got socks. Here's the list. Socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, uh, including a line of silver underwear and shirts. Yes, actual silver. They're naturally antimicrobial, uh, meaning they repel odor using the power of science. Wow. Is it, it's like, is it like a Faraday cage for your junk? Um, it could be. It could mm. be. Uh, you'll have to ask Mr. Faraday about silver. that. Silver. Um, and they perform well, too. They're good for working out. They're good for going to work. They're good for going out on dates. They're good for living your everyday life. You can get 20% off your order. That's right. That's a lot of stripy socks, my friend. By going to MacWeldon.com. Now, th- we talk about the Mac on this uh, show a lot, so I need to spell this for you because it's not spelled like that. It's Mac, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N, MacWeldon.com. Use code Upgrade at checkoff for 20% off that silver underwear, those stripy socks, that hoodie, whatever. 20% off with code upgrade. Mm. Thank you, Mac Wilden, for supporting Upgrade. Well, now, when stupid John Roderick brags about his Faraday underwear with the silver in it, now I know where he got it, and I'm totally going to get some. Yeah, there you go. I can do it. Um, where, so where, where were we? We're talking about reviews. You got got to deploy me tactically. You got to get me in a lane. I know, I know, I know. Um, well, I, I've already made my joke about Goodreads, so (laughs) I'm good at this point. Well, it's, it's also the, it's also the, the other part of the Yelp problem, the other part of so many of these things. And of course we won't go through all of our hilarious anecdotes we have here, but is that, you know, you, you don't have to, it doesn't cost anything. To leave a review, you have this. You have a link here to the wonderful Amazon Amazon Movie, movie Reviews. Reviews is the, my one of my favorite Twitter accounts, and it's Would you generally want to curate a couple. Can you curate a couple of those real quick for us? It's it's generally well, okay. Like the most, this is a pinned one on there, which is the Wolf of Wall Street. One star. There were no wolves in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right and most of their reviews some of them are fi- they're all five and one stars for the most part yeah and um beyond that it's people who are unclear on um what the point is jurassic world one star i don't like this film this film is a bit unrealistic since the existence of dinosaurs has not been proven there may be some bones but these are easy enough to fake yeah that's the review of jurassic world ghost rider five stars good flick my son is five and loves this movie. I had to get him six feet of chain from Home Depot. 
because the ghostwriter has chains. Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, it's an amazing uh, it's an amazing Twitter account, and I recommend it. But it, it is an example where a lot of fives, a lot of ones, um, you know. And I, and what I'm really trying, I'm not what I'm not trying to do is say people don't have the right to write a review. I guess what I'm saying is writing reviews is hard, and um, writing good reviews is harder. And a lot of internet things that want you to write reviews don't really care if you exert effort which is good because most people don't want to exert the effort to do it and so you end up right, with right. weird reviews and you end up with the axe grinders who are the ones who push through like their their anger will fuel them activist and, activist reviewers yeah exactly right and so it's it, it becomes it becomes problematic huh there's that word again um <laughs> because it's just it, i'm gonna it, shame you out of that one I, no you know what <laughs> the reason i use the word problematic is because it, i feel like i can't say why it's bad because there's so yeah. many different vectors of badness in it that you you start to pull them apart and it's like can i give you a list of all the ways that this is bad because well, there's you know, so many of them it's just like Jason, it's Jason, hard to ask americans. people to write we're, a review we're americans and so we nominally believe in a sense of fair play and justice and equal access to things so it's nice that anybody I mean, I'm not being sarcastic. It's great that everybody gets a vote on stuff. I think that's really good. But the problem is, like, here's this is one. I'm just this was one from memory. Um, who was it? Was it? Um, oh, was it Wilson Miner? Was one of the one of the whoever made Every Block? Every Block was this great app that would aggregate aggregate all kinds of local information oh, yeah, right. about your neighborhood, and it was only available in a few cities. But it was so great because you could go in and you could find like like honest stuff, like police activity, like, you know, all like stuff from public records in this beautiful site. And at one point, they, I think they, they'd re, rebooted it, like, uh, and they, it was only available in like four cities. And it said in giant, giant letters in the description of the app, this will only work if you are in San Francisco, Boston, Phoenix. Do not download this app if you don't live in one of these cities. Hand to God, one of the first reviews, one star, not available in my city. Guess I should have read the description. <laughs> so they're reviewing themselves then. <laughs> and my, one of my other favorites, I don't know if you see this much anymore. Do you remember this a few years back? One star, fixed for jailbreak. Yeah. You ever seen that one? Yep. Like I jail, I jailbreak my phone. It's like really vulnerable and broken now. Could you go in and like make your app work, work better this? with this? Yeah, the um, one of the things that we tried at one point, did we? I don't know whether we implemented it or whether it was just on the list of things that didn't get implemented by our development team. Um, not that I'm bitter, but uh, <laughs> the uh, idea of I think there's a difference on the internet between asking people for uh, uh, ratings. And having them, iTunes does this. You can rate a podcast without writing a review. And mm -hmm. I think writing a review is really intimidating for a lot of people. It also is asking for time. A lot of people aren't really confident writers, um, let alone product reviewers or, or movie reviewers or podcast reviewers. And um, a lot of sites make the mistake of wanting, uh, of asking for text. Like giving us a, a, an integer out of five is not enough. We want your text. And I feel like that is a step down the path toward having a worse idea of the general sentiment of something um, because a lot of people are going to be like, well, forget this. It's like t getting a survey. I get those in email every now and then. It was like, how did you like your interaction with Hotels.com? And it'll be like, it was good. It was bad. It was, it was uh, I don't care. And you click on it and it's like, okay, great. Now we want to ask, it opens a browser window and says, let's ask you 20 other questions. I'm like, I don't want to answer 20 questions. We get that from my kid's school where it's like all this stuff about how satisfied we are with diversity at the school with like dozens of questions with one to four. Oh, it's the worst. See? And you're like, no, I, I, 
Yeah, like I mean, like I, I mean, actually, I'm I'm really pleased with all of it, but I'm also kind of a size queen about giving out fours and fives. Yeah, exactly right. You're going to pull down even if you're pretty happy. You're going to pull down the average because you're like, look, three is a positive review, okay? And they're going to be like, no, if it's not five, the school shuts down. So I wonder, I wonder if there's ways though to introduce facets in clever ways. I mean, you know. There's all kinds of interesting stuff. Like one thing I guess we should mention in passing is uh, I didn't notice this at first, but you're a pretty big Netflix user, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember for a long time, Netflix Netflix was so ahead of the curve on so many things. I remember back in the day, it became kind of like a sport to like rate movies because it would give you more to yes. rate and it would get better and better. And back then it, was, it was, wasn't collaborative filtering in the way we think of it today, but it was definitely like using aggregate yes, you know, they, they had a They had a famous algorithm that would guess what uh, rating you would give a movie based on your ratings of other movies. Right. And they had a and whole then, contest about like getting people to write a better exactly a, a better algorithm that would that they give somebody you know a team a million dollars if they could in- improve their algorithm by a certain amount. And so back in the percentage. disc days, that was sort of important because they're trying to float up like what discs should you get next, and says we think you'll like this movie, and it's still really relevant for streaming now. To, well, to I, I mean, like one thing, two things I like. One thing I like is, and I, it is a fairly, it's become a fairly blunt instrument. It's not as useful as it used to be. Maybe I don't know if there's too much stuff. Maybe they know too much about me. But I like it when they say uh, recommended because you watched this. I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I really like it when you get to the detail page and it says, you know, uh, recommended because you like you you like this certain thing or you like these kinds of movies. Uh, we should find for notes the cheat sheet for genres. On on uh, Netflix, Have you ever seen that? No, the full list of genres like adult anime, like there's like a ridiculous taxonomy that's not exposed to the public, but you can view them in a web browser. I will find that for notes. But what I didn't know about, and I just discovered probably I don't know in the last year, was that if I hope I'm getting this right, tell me if I'm getting this wrong. But when you're on Netflix and you're flipping around, you're saying what am I going to watch? What am I going to watch? And um, and you see the ratings for something. Apparently, turns out those are the ratings that people very much like you have given this. Right. More to the point, this is basically the rating they think you would give it, which is a fascinating yeah, idea yeah. to me. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I've had that too. I'm fascinated by the whole like because you liked. Sometimes they'll say it's because you liked Primer. Other times they'll be like, because you like smart, mind-bending time travel movies. And I'm like, okay, well, I know what your movie you're talking about there. <laughs> right, but right. it'll say, well, you should watch Safety Not Guaranteed. And it's like, yes, I should. You're absolutely yep. right. I should watch that movie. They have a lot in common. And Give I, me all of the time travel yeah, movies, Yeah, it's please. amazing that your, <laughs> that your uh, computer can, can divine that. But it's quite right, right? Like, it should. It should be able to figure that one out. Um, and, and, it's, crave- and, and, and it's helping, right? It, I, 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 do like, I do like it in that respect. I crave facets. And so, I mean, just some quick examples in terms of like, maybe like what, what I wish were different or what could be improved. I sent you the list, by the way, to the Netflix streaming genres. How crazy is that list? Um, let's pull that up in a sec. But you know, um, I guess I just wish things like, I mean, if you, for Rotten Tomatoes ish things or things where like, especially if it's crowdsourced, there's some dumb questions that you could ask that actually might be really useful. Um, I, I would recommend this movie to my close friends. Yes or no. This movie was yeah. better than I expected. Yes or no. It seems to me like over time, those kinds of things could actually be really useful. And when it comes to products, I mean, you've got to get all DP review on this. Like, was this a good value? How did you feel about the content of the CD versus the packaging of the box set? Because I've seen Pet Sounds get one star because people think it's been released too many times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I love bananas. I love that. The, the I look at um, sometimes when I'm looking for like a Blu-ray or something and you'll get, do you, uh, what was it? Uh, is it? 
digital bits. So one of the one of the Blu-ray review sites, I always really liked it because they gave two reviews. They gave a review for the content, which is like. Yes, I, I'm glad you liked Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Good for you. Yes, it's a good movie. And then they would do the release. It's like, now, yes, please actually tell me what's good about this. Like, is this a good transfer and all of that? And you see right, that on Amazon exactly. where it'll be like, I already had this. Or, or Khan, it's great. It's like, okay, that doesn't tell me anything. Like, I'm trying, I'm really specifically trying to find out if this new release is good or not. And that that comes back to knowing your audience. But you're right. We, we talked about that at IDG a lot about, could we ask questions to get signal on a product that was not just tell me how, how numbered this product is, right? Like, if this product right, a right, number. Right. But instead it's like, was this, was this, we should that with uh with games like ios games we tried to do that and it didn't work very well because we didn't have enough users to do it but it's like survey data of like was this game challenging was this game fun to play not just rate this game but like ask a specific question about about the ios game and that way we could say users found this game challenging but fun to play or users found this game fun but not very challenging and that's interesting and way more i feel like a, a, a way better use of everybody's time than you be the reviewer give this uh, a rating out of five because totally what does that totally yeah here's uh, you know two sites I, I i wouldn't i would appreciate you putting in notes um very different but working toward the same thing one is uh, kids in mind and the other one that you might have noticed popping up on apple tv is common sense media oh yeah and they so kids in mind is uh, I think this is an endlessly fascinating site. It's a it feels a little Christiany, definitely a little conservative. But the notion is they go in and they review a movie for three vectors: the amount of sex and nudity, the amount of violence and gore, the amount of profanity. And then in a hilarious turn, they go through and in a very antiseptic way describe every instance of all of those things in the most hilarious way. And yes, the Big Lebowski is in there. So if you're worried about like how much of those things you might find offensive, and then one specific specifically to know kids in mind is good for yeah. that. So the reason I mentioned common sense media, I think they might be a little better at it, but what, they are doing something I wish more places would do, would do, which is facets, facets, facets. So right now I'm on the page for Imperium, which is this um, uh, Daniel Radcliffe movie I watched last night. They give it a rating of uh, 17 plus. So I guess it's, you know, R rated. Uh, they give it a quality rating of three out of five stars. Okay. Good to know. And then they have a section here called What Parents Need to Know. Positive messages of this movie, one to five. Positive role models, one to five. Violence, sex, language, consumerism, drinking drugs, and smoking. Okay, so I'm not saying the way they're doing that is perfect for every movie, but something like that would be very welcome to me. I've, Even if it's an opinion, I would like I would like those facets to be there. I've used those reviews um, a lot. Like, if you know your kid is afraid of scary music, it's good to know that. Like, your kid might be the toughest kid in the world, but sometimes kids, there's certain things that just set your kid off, whether that's spiders, scary music, you know, uh, Slender Man, whatever it is, knowing it's in there is good to know. Yeah, my my high school pal, Jeff Anderson, who used to be the uh, movie critic at the San Francisco Examiner back when it was a newspaper, uh, and he he writes... um, he has his own site, Combustible Celluloid, and he used to write the now streaming column for Tech Hive, which was great. Um, and he writes for Common Sense, 
media. Oh, too. terrific! And it's and it's good because he. I mean, he's a real movie critic, and he's able to say like, I'm looking at his uh, review of Vice on Common Sense Media, which is great because it's parents need to know that Vice is a terrible sci-fi action film, and it goes from the, it's like what parents? It's got it's very violent. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of bad language, but also it's a very bad movie. And he with one star, and it's great knowing a somebody who grew up to be a film critic is fantastic because I have to say knowing him in high school he would see movies and rate them on a five-star scale he had internalized his star rating system as a teenager and of course he ended up being a movie critic um but i had to i didn't i I had to learn the five-star rating system much some people just have that gene just by the way if you have if you have kids you might want to steer them away from the big lebowski it gets a 10 (laughs) for profanity yeah uh about 240 f words many scatological references many anatomical references many model studies they didn't even bother to go through the specific yeah, but they also offer discussion topics if you show it to your kid: kidnapping, pornography, marijuana use, the Vietnam and Gulf Wars. Is there marijuana use in Big Lebowski? Interesting. Um, <laughs> I've seen that movie one time, by the way. Oh dear. Sing- okay. Sing- right. Single time. I liked it. Wait, who, who are you, Scott McNulty? I liked it, but I only saw it the one time, and that was like four years ago. It's about around about the same time I saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off for the only time that I've seen that. Really? But uh, which what do you I also think fa- liked. facets, though? Huh? I mean, facets. doesn't it seem like that's one way to kind of cut a lot of the stupid out of this yeah i i agree i i think that's i i think there's a tyranny in the empty box uh saying review this here uh, in a lot of different ways right i think it's bad i think i think it's bad for the person being asked to fill in the empty box and i don't think it really solves anything um mm-hmm. and, and so i mean you you in our document and we are going to move on here in a minute but yeah. in your document you talked about interesting case studies and basically it's like examples and you mentioned the wire cutter which is a lot of texting puts a lot of context in they don't do ratings but they do pick a winner which is how they kind of stack it up because their feeling is who who reads the wire cutter and what they're saying is people who read the wire cutter want to know yeah. what to buy they don't want to know the, like, their, the their asterisks are not below the fold their asterisks are the article yeah well that's that's true i have written a couple articles for them it's absolutely true and they're still building their format as they learn what their business is and as they learn what their audience is but what what they're not they're not interested in the converse cultural conversation about a film right Wirecutter is interested in people who want to buy a product in a category but they don't know which product to buy and Wirecutter can say that one or if you want to spend a little bit of money for something better that one and that's yep. all they want to do and that which is good because that's how they make their money is by click-throughs to buy those products on Amazon for in in large part. But it's a great example of them putting a lot of work in to understand their categories, but also to think about what what is the output. And the output, saying something like uh, somebody in the chat room was saying like, oh, The Verge gave this 7.3 and they gave this other one a 7.1, which is like um, uh, Macworld did that when I first started at Macworld is they had this essentially 100-point rating system. And the fact was that, you know, there was no, talk about levels of precision there was no level of precision to that point of 100 like like there was a difference between a 6.8 and a 6.7 is there really a difference what between those significant significant figures, significant figures yeah significant figures <laughs> it's just like no there's no way there's no way right so with wire cutter it is much more like a siskel and ebert situation which is like this one um, but it's not even like yes or no to this product it's like in this category just buy this product and there is something and if it's too different, they, they, they break it off where it'll be exactly. like it isn't just like here's the best tv to buy it's like here's the best tv to buy at 
the they could say at the higher high end, or, or not just any like uh, specific. It could be different kinds of knives or whatever. But they, if it's too big of a topic, they break it into pieces and it maintains its use. Exactly, exactly right. And they and they and they swore that stuff, which is not to say that there aren't issues. Because having written a couple wire cutter pieces, I mean, it was a judgment call. In the end, it was a judgment call. I couldn't. Uh, you know, it's very a very rare product where you can set up some measurements and press some buttons and run some tests and have your answer. Uh, most of the time, you end up having to make a judgment call based on your experience and your and even even when you're pressing the buttons, you have to decide what you want to measure. Which which was when we had a lab back at MacWorld and PC World. Um, you know, the lab is deciding what to measure, and there's a great skill in that in figuring out what the most appropriate measurements are and how to make them. I mean, it's no it's no uh, surprise that the Macworld lab is largely employed doing uh, performance marketing testing at Apple now, right? They were really good at coming up with tests. And so, yeah, the test, the numbers were objective, but who made the test that measures the numbers? And <laughs> it, it, right. it's all, it's, you know, it's judgment calls all the way down, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and turtles. Well and turtles. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, if we're if we're if we're putting a button on this, I, I guess uh, because people like buttons, you yeah. know, I guess as I think we can agree that people should watch Faithful Findings, the, the great Neil Breen. <laughs> it is movie. an amazing, amazing. He film. really wants that coffee. <laughs> he he does, and he's got lots of laptops that just uh, don't work. And books and books. Um, <laughs> the I, I guess what I would say about ratings is uh, they're a tool to be used and disregarded um, by the people who look at them, and so. Uh, as with so many things, if you're a savvy consumer, be aware of where those ratings come from and who is writing them and how they're calculated in the, in the case of something like Rotten Tomatoes. That, I think that's a healthy thing in life. I mean, that, that is something that I would say about anything from uh, tech products to cultural things like movies to uh, the way that uh, somebody like Nate Silver analyzes political polling or oh, great, the way yeah. that uh, and Nate Silver came out of the baseball analytics uh, background. He was at Baseball Prospectus, the way that the people who do sabermetric stuff are looking at numbers uh, and saying, hey, this batting average doesn't seem like it's actually a, the best measure of whether somebody's a good baseball player or not. And all of that, I mean, I, I just think it's healthy for all of us to um, keep that in mind. What are the biases? What are the, um, where does this number come from? Because the old joke is numbers never lie. You can't argue with numbers. And the people who say that are generally people. <laughs> People who know that the numbers always lie <laughs> and don't believe it when somebody tells you that. Um, and and I, I just feel like that in the end, you need to know what's in the sausage <laughs> when it comes to reviews. <laughs> um, and the other thing I wanted to say uh, in the in the in the, the button up here is um, I always took it as a great responsibility and I did try to internalize what my rating system would be when I was rating a product. You're asking people to spend three thousand, or not asking, but your people are making three three thousand, five thousand dollar decisions. And I got to tell you, I don't want no pressure here, but back in the day, that was, I mean, the the number of mice was the definitive review for Apple stuff for me. That was, I would read all the other ones, but yours was the one. Macworld was the one that I would really put the most credibility into. And um, if you didn't like something, you could potentially destroy somebody's business, right? I yeah, mean, you could right. literally be like, this is a piece of garbage, and they would never sell any and they would be be done um Ugh. and so so it's a great responsibility to do that that all said you know the moment i 
got a chance to not give a rating to something anymore, a numerical rating, I took it because I felt like um, the point of my reviews was not, uh, we always had this, like with OS 10, I would review OS 10 every year and be like, are we rating this? And sometimes we did and sometimes we didn't, but it was like, what's the point? What are we comparing it to? Is If, if, if OS 10 gets a four or a three and a half or a four and a half, does anybody know or care? What should you, what should you do differently? Why would it be <laughs> right? I mean, would I change a word of my review? Um, no, I will say that after 20 years of editing reviews, I could read a review and say what the rating was. And and if the rating wasn't what I thought it was, I would go back to the reviewer and say, okay, we got a problem here. Either, I know you gave this two and a half, but either this is this is a three or a three and a half and you just got the rating wrong and we'll change the rating. Or mm-hmm. your review is far too positive. The words... And you need to make it much more clear about why you gave it two and a half out of five. Oh, that's so frustrating when they don't match. And, and um, but it was something I could internalize. It was something that I, you know, be, and, and that was that was good because I would much rather the rating on something come from like what Metacritic does come from the words than from like a spreadsheet that you have tricked yourself into believing is totally, uh, totally objective, but is in fact not remotely objective because um, that happens a lot. I think we fixed it. Okay, good. High five. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks, everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> um, Ooh, a lot of genres. Yeah. A lot of genres. So many Netflix genres. Oh, my goodness. Deep sea horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> Was that like with Deep Blue Sea, I guess. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And The Abyss uh-huh. is not really a, well, no. I keep holding off on the abyss because I, I I know I can't get the right version yeah. and the right resolution, so I keep waiting. I've never seen it. This is not on our our list, but I love the abyss. Um, I don't think we have time for anything. Else. No, I, the abyss director's edition. It, I saw right. it. I saw it. I think in a seventy millimeter uh, at uh, the, on Venice at the at the uh, that big the big um, at the time new theater uh, at, on Venice. Oh wow! Um, oh, wow! And we came into the city to see it. Um, and it was so great um, because if you've seen James Cameron's The Abyss and you've only seen the original theatrical release, it, it's not very good. It has a really bad ending. And the special edition that he did on video on VHS and they did release in theaters briefly is great. But apparently James Cameron is too busy making more Avatar movies to supervise <laughs> the HD release of the Abyss special edition. And there is an mm. HD version that plays on HBO occasionally, but it's the it's the stupid original version. And it's a kind of a shame. And yeah, I feel I want to do a, an incomparable episode about it, but I, I really don't see the point if the only edition that you can get that's the good version of the movie is on VHS. Yeah, I've looked on the back of trucks. I can't find it. No. No, I got a, I got a VHS tape here I can loan you, but I don't know if I have a VCR. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to, let's, let's see. We got, we got, I, I want to do one other topic really quickly. Uh, maybe we'll skip over spoilers. We'll come back to that. Uh, we'll yeah. circle back some other time because I do want to follow up with you about uh, Reconcilable Differences episode 30. De- deploy me tactically again in the future because I'd love to talk I w- about I would, I would love to talk about it. Well, I, You know, I listen to your podcast. I listen to Rectifs especially. And I, I feel like these are two people I know and you're having this conversation about things that I don't ever talk about on podcasts, even though I'm on a million podcasts. These are the things you guys talk about are 
not things I talk about, just like uh, Mike and Casey on Analog, right? And right. I have a moment where I, I am doing what every podcast listener does, which is I'm talking back <laughs> to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm jogging up the bike path in Mill Valley, and John is in one ear and Merlin's in the other, and I'm like, no, no, Mer- no, Merlin is wrong, or John is wrong. And I always slough that off when people say that, because I'm like, ah, whatever, I'm just talking. But then I listened to a podcast about Mr. Robot the other day, and the guy kept calling Darlene Dolores, and I was screaming, <laughs> screaming at my iPhone. I was like, this is what it's like to listen to me. This is, you know, fair turnaround. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I would like at some point to, to talk to you about that, because you talk about interesting stuff that I don't necessarily get to on my other podcast, and you talked about spoilers in Rectifs 30. People could listen to that. Spoilers for the concept of spoilers on that episode. But um, maybe we should jump ahead. I, I wanted to just mention, so we were talking about, you, you mentioned Common Sense Media. Um, yeah. And one of the notes I had was about showing adult things to kids. And I just wanted to mention, Ugh. at least anecdotally, so we, we were going to do an episode of The Incomparable about Alien, and it was going to be this morning, and we ended up, um, some people couldn't make it, so we pushed it off a couple of weeks. But uh, we watched Alien on Saturday night. After we raided our dinner, <laughs> we watched Alien. What a night to be alive, <laughs> let me tell you, in the Snell house. Um, things are blowing up at Chase now. So we're watching Alien. We're going to watch Alien, and uh, Julian refused, which I find fascinating because he apparently has looked everything up on the internet this is a he's a very 21st century kid because he was like oh no that's scary you know what happens that movie Uh, alien comes out of a guy's chest spoilers for alien which was made in 1979 by the way alien comes Mm. out of this guy's chest it's really scary it's really scary and gross and we're like julian well do you want to see it he's like no it's too scary so he knows all about it but doesn't want to see it whereas jamie doesn't know about it and wants to see it and she's 14 um i I feel like it's it's a perfectly right age for her to start seeing movies that are a oh, little bit yeah. rougher. Um, totally. I've been, you know, I've been, I've been hesitant for a while, but at this point, at this point, it's really more that her little brother usually is around and we are, uh, nipping off what she's allowed to watch because he's in the room. But this was a case where we're like, you know what, Julian, if you want to be scared out of your mind by the alien, you can, you can do it knowing full well that he's going to be like, no, I'm going to be in my room. Uh, and so we watched it and it was just funny because it is an R rated horror movie. And, um, you know, she ended up asking Lauren to come on the couch with her. Lauren was sitting next to me on our little chair and, yeah. and, and she, she, my teenager asked her mom to come over and sit with Aww. her to give her some support. What you can't prepare people Aww. for is the tension. It's just, you know, that's the thing that about a, a great movie like that is that, yeah, sure. I mean, there are some famous scenes in that movie where there's a big scare, but like, it's just, it's just that music, the tension, the, the hallways. Yeah. It's just, it's unbearable. Yeah. I mean, she laughed when the, when the alien comes out of uh, John Hurt's chest and runs out. She laughed because it's a, it's a puppet. It's a yep. ridiculous puppet. <laughs> it's much better later, but that scene is like, you know, it might as well be Kermit the Frog running and there's, across There's one there. shot at she the laughs. very end in the otherwise just stunning third act of that movie. There is a scene when the guy in the suit's kind of flapping around. Oh, like, yeah. oh come on. You're showing him too much. Yeah. You're doing a Jaws on me here. Yeah. Show me less. Show me less. Exactly. But then in Aliens, in Aliens the second one, they, they, they got a lot better. They are way more menacing as like moving around characters in the second one. Yeah. Yeah, oh, what a good movie! But anyway, that was that was that moment, and it's so hard to know because every kid is. I, I find this different. topic endlessly. Uh, yeah, I find it endlessly fascinating because every kid is so different, and you could have the kid that is the toughest kid in the world about almost everything except this one thing, and on top of it all, you don't want to scar them. Yeah, but like I honestly, know. I made that crack about scary music. I have a bunch of friends whose kids are otherwise totally normal kids, but as soon as they hear some cellos. 
like while they're looking at a dark forest, game over, yeah. shut it all Julian, down. Julian's like that. He to the point where, because um, we'll watch Doctor Who, right? And it's got scary stuff in it too. But the thing so that gets much. him is not the scary aliens; it's the scary tense music. And he used to run out of the room when he hears scary music and stuff. And and <laughs> now he, even though he's now twelve years old, he will put his hands over his ears. Like it's is okay to right? watch it, but I'm not going to listen to the music. And then he'll take the hands back off again. For my kid, I think it's jump scares. It's, um, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if I'm using Aliens that term got those. Yeah. Oh, they got a couple. But yeah, anything where something like pops into the screen or, you know, and you, you know, I started getting good at this when I was about 13, which is like, even though I didn't have the vocabulary for it, I go, hmm, that's kind of an odd camera angle. In <laughs> the years before Mr. Robot, you go, boy, that seems like a lot of white space yeah. in the upper right area. <laughs> yeah. Why, why so tight on, on Ripley as she's turning around? Yeah, right. Uh, why, why not give that a little more headroom? Oh, is it because there's an alien right behind her that's about to be revealed? Yes. That's well, it could be. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you because like, there's so many struggles to this where like, and a lot of it's just dumb and selfish, which is like, uh, I, I think you'd really enjoy this. We're going through this a little bit with books right now where I've been buying um, my daughter some books that are a little old for her, just kind of having them around that if she wants to discover some nerd books, they're there. We've been reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at night. I got her a copy of Ender's Game. Her mom and her are reading A Wrinkle in Time. I've been trying to get her some like kind of classic nerd books just to have around. And it's, it's very difficult to know. And, I, you know, I don't want to push, but I also, like, I want her to be able to, like, read it as a new reader of that and then come back to it and go, oh, you know what I mean? And we get those successive uh, layers of like, oh, now I get that. Now right. I really get that. I see why that's what they mean by nailing a guy to a tree. Now I know what that means. But it's it's hard to know. How, what's your what's your guidepost for these things? Uh, you got, Well, so, so Lauren is a children's librarian. So this is her job. I mean, essentially her job is to know what the books are and gauge the kids' ages and interests and sort of what they're up to and then try to put yeah. it all together. So I'm fascinated by that because she, so she, she, that is actually a big part of her job is kid, a kid comes in and she has to sort of quiz them about what they've read and what they liked and, and know what's out there. Um, I, it's funny because you mentioned in in our notes you mentioned the that uh, the scene in Ghostbusters where Dan Aykroyd crosses his eyes and falls off the bed. Absolutely, as unnecessary as it was unsuccessful. Apparently, the story is that that was supposed to be in the movie as part of the plot, and that they're like no, and they 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 instead they added it to be part of the montage because um, that was going to be a wacky. A ghost sex scene and they're like no danny we're not going to do that we'll just put oh it in the montage God. but um but my argument for the, for that scene is very much my argument for a lot of books thinking about the books that i read as a kid uh too yeah. which is i think when you're when you're so young and innocent that you don't want to expose them to concepts that are problematic huh see look what i did there i think thank you <laughs> i think um if they're if they're really young and innocent like that, they're not going to get it because I didn't get the the ghost yeah. thing in Ghostbusters. I didn't the, go, the, go, the ghost job. The ghost job in Ghostbusters. I did <laughs> not. Job. I did not. It's a ghost job. Well, ghosts can have lots of jobs. Berlin, come on. Um, <laughs> Don't be normative. I didn't get it. I didn't get it until I was much older, and then I watched the movie, and I was like, <laughs> oh, 
that's what that is. Because at the time, I just thought it was wacky that 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 his pants got unzipped and he fell off his bed, and that that was just a thing. And I just it never <laughs> did that silly. It, exactly, it never. He's he's like that. It never occurred yeah. to me. And I and there's books that I read that are because because there's there's stuff that's explicit, right? And then there's also stuff that's like suggestive. And the great thing about things that are suggestive is it flies right over your head. And and, and so my worries about my kids and what they've been exposed to it's actually. I, I actually am a lot less worried about it than I was when I started as a parent because I've seen it happen too many times now where if they're old enough to get it, they'll get it. And if they're not old enough to get yeah. it, they don't get it. And, 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 and it's a lot fine. of times they're a lot of times they're queuing off of our reaction, you know, yeah. what, what's your fascination with daddy's forbidden closet of mystery? <laughs> you know, it's, it's when we get really keyed up about things that I think that's what they remember. And it's like uh, whether or not they realize that I think kids make a mental note of what what punches their parents' buttons. Even if they don't understand it, they can look to us and know that we're freaked out about it. Daddy's uh, hidden closet of mystery is full of comic books, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> at least in this house. We, we were watching, uh, sometimes we'll just go through Jags where like, we're, well, it's not really official TV time yet, but like maybe we'll watch some music videos. And so we'll frequently watch like, okay, go videos or uh, one we both enjoy is um, My Chemical Romance. And we were watching, um, uh, yeah, that's right. I'm 50. I like My Chemical right. Romance. <laughs> but we're watching that video for uh, I'm Not Okay, which has, which is a really good song, really good video, but it's got a couple things in it that are a little a little dodgy and sometimes she'll offer up what her explanation is for something and it's wrong and i'm relieved but i still feel bad that she's looking at it same thing with parks and rec which is like our absolute go-to show for the last few months we're like you know and in that case i think you're right it's suggestive it's not like too on the nose but like when tom's talking about condoms or something right and we don't shy away from it but now it's funny though because now i think she has seen us tense up a little bit so the one where chris and ann are talking about you know getting the sample she grabs the remote and fast forwards she's like oh Oh, yeah we'll we'll, we'll skip over this yeah anything that's (laughs) even remotely uh, romantic julian just wants to like leave the room or f- or forward or skip or something. Oh, enjoy it, enjoy it. Why? I know, yeah, I know. He's twelve. They grow up so fast. Oh. Uh, Want to do some ask upgrade before we go? I would love that. All right, it's time for hashtag ask upgrade. Ask upgrade. Thank you. Very very nicely done. Uh, Eric wrote in saying, "I waited all year for a new twelve point nine inch iPad Pro. Should I finally buy or painfully wait for twenty seventeen?" Well. All signs, Eric, point to painfully waiting for 2017. It sounds very much like Apple's decided that fall is for iPhones and spring is for iPads. Like, but what else? And, you know, I, I, I realize that you're propped up by Big iPad on a lot of these shows. <laughs> well, it's but so like, big, I it? can just lean back on it and it props <laughs> me up. Well, funny thing, I popped for the big one, and um, which sounds terrible. I popped for the big one, and I liked it. <laughs> most I liked it, most but I was young, like, young kids, that'll just go right over their heads, though. Marlin, but you, <laughs> just suggestive. It's not a ghost beach, but like, um, but like, uh, you you've seen this go around and around and around in the Slack, where it's like there are just there are people who are like, well. You know, you ask me, ask me anything about the iPad Pro. It's so big. Yep. Yeah, but what about, you know what? It is so big. I gave it to my wife. She loves it. I love mine. She loves the giant one. She watched all of Stranger Things on it uh, last night. She watched the entire Stranger Things yesterday. And um, and I bought 
the uh, smaller one, and it's already up there with the SE30 for me. Like it's up there in the Apple Hall of Fame because now I can thumb type again without all my words having commas in them. <laughs> uh, it's perfect for me. So my question to you, uh, Jason Snell, what what is this? Uh, our listener Eric, what is what is it he should be waiting for? Well, what, in other words, what's he going to miss out on if he buys one now? I think the problem with this is he waited all year for a new 12.9 inch iPad Pro. That all year s- suggests that Eric was waiting in January when the iPad Pro had only been out for like a month or two yeah and i you know don't, you shouldn't you should have just bought it in january because you would it, you know i i think yeah will there be new models that are a little bit better come next year yeah but uh, almost so, certainly but uh, well, you shouldn't I, wait I, a year because there always will be a next year's model always yeah, and i'm not i'm not hobbled by by jason's legacy of assigning mice to things so i'm just gonna <laughs> say like if you can really use it and you can probably really use it if you can use it i would go say go test out the different ones make sure it's the one that you really love that's true in my case i'm a big proponent of the smaller one but the big one is very very special as a device but if you can use it i would say don't wait too long i mean i i bought the the giant giant one because i'm gonna use this thing forever yeah, and they, they do they do last. And I, I don't feel when I'm using the 12.9-inch iPad Pro that I'm like, oh, boy, if only this thing were just a little bit better. And I don't think it's going to be kind of like blowing everybody away better uh, in the spring anyway. It'll be better. It'll have a faster processor Well, you know, in when, it, like, but... when they put out the iPad Air 2 and we all thought, my goodness, what, what could the reason possibly be for making this so powerful? We learned with iOS 9 why that is. Yeah. Uh, so on the public beta of iOS 10 on everything, uh, and uh, boy... It just keeps getting better. The stuff like Split View and Safari. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, oh, I used that for the God. first time today, and I just had you got to turn it of, sideways. I, I forgot you always got to turn it sideways. But, but stuff like that, and the now getting Split View with um, Google Docs. Yep. And the thing is that you don't appreciate on the bigger iPad is the you can kind of pull over to get like a little view into something if it's a compatible app. You pull further over now. Hey, you got the whole thing. You can go over to halfway. Then you can. It's just like once you get. It's going to take a while to get used to doing that, but once you you do like using Siri, like dictation, it's going to be hard to ever look back. We've got it's a great device. I, I love mine, I really do. We've got uh, so there, there are three in the document right now. Um, people can't see this because people who listen can't look in the document, but there's Hello. three questions Hello, here. Um, I want to answer one of those. Which one would you like us to address? We don't have time for all three, those middle three, listener Dan. Listener Dan says, you both have daughters. I have one year until mine starts kindergarten. Mm. What should I make time to do with her before then? What do you got? Um, it's a hard one. It's a hard I'll jump in. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think... Um, I think there's a funny line to walk <laughs> with, with kid stuff and family stuff where like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure to have... Uh, family things and stuff and traditions and let's go read a book about like what to do on Valentine's Day and there's so much pressure to that stuff but what I'll say is this like discover the organic like emerging patterns that are already there and then just officialize them a little bit so like I think the really dumb obvious stuff but that's a perfect age to start having a place and we're here talking about a dad and a daughter so if there's a daddy daughter place like make become aware of that and make that part of daddy daughter day like have that be like a place that both of you look forward to going to and especially if it's it could be something as simple as a library or ideally not just shopping but someplace a destination where you both like to be with rituals associated with it right uh, i still me more than her probably but dumb stuff like for for two years we had a bookmobile while our library was being redone and we would always get a book and go read it in this little uh area in the woods like silly stuff like that is really fun i think having a certain i know you're really good at this having a certain meal 
that you really like making together oh, yeah. will always be fun. Um, and then yeah, this one's kind of silly and corny, but like uh, if there were other people in your house, like say a mom in this case, especially start a tradition or you may already have a tradition, but turn it semi-officialize it into like a random arbitrary nice thing that we do sometimes for no reason. So maybe that could be in my, this is really silly, who cares? My daughter likes making my wife a fancy water. So we'll make her like a spot, like a nice, in a nice glass mm. with ice. You put in lemon, you put in cucumber. You know, she's eight, give her a break. She's really into that and <laughs> she brings it in on a tray. And it never doesn't delight my wife. So find something, a little dumb, cheap thing that delights the other people in uh, the family and make that something you and your daughter do. And I will go a, just a little more pragmatic and say one of the beautiful things about when a child is not in school is that they're available all the time, which means that if you're working a regular kind of job, I would say taking a morning or taking a day and doing something on a weekday that is harder to do on the weekend oh, is something God. that you can do when they're not in school that you can't do. Like we would do, we would go, my wife um, at the time wasn't working um at that time, I don't know if she was working at all. And so she would do it a lot. I would do it occasionally, but she would take our daughter to the zoo, to the San Francisco Zoo. And sometimes with some other families or we meet other families there. And that was, apparently that scene is a whole lot better um, on, you oh, know, you just, you just, you just run that on place. a Tuesday at <laughs> yes. one in the afternoon. Or when the one is going to be nap time on a Tuesday at, uh, at, at 10 in the morning. Oh, it's, it's, it's so fun. You walk right in, you just, you can run the place. The only thing is make sure it's not the free day. You don't want to go on free day yeah. if you remember, because boy, is it full. But no, I think it's a great one or a ball game, something like Some, that. Something that you, you, you know, once they're in school, that's going to be your responsibility to have them go in school. And you can, you can play hooky or take the day off, but it, you can't really do that with your kid. I mean, you can, but it's a lot harder and there's a lot of guilt attached. So this, this past summer went so fast. Well, I mean, we're already back in school. We're about to start the second week of school yep. and it's, uh, it's just stunning. It's like, I just remember saying goodbye to you and I'll see her last, like, you know, she's in third grade now. And so she's got this whole like rogues gallery of former teachers I see. And it's like, I mean, it goes fast. Yeah. Uh, last question. Lucas asks, what's your favorite episode of Doctor Who? <sighs> Ask me anything. This one is hard. I know, I, right? I, I mean, in some ways, the, I'm fighting it because the answer is so blindingly obvious to me, but it's mostly for kind of sentimental. Day of the Doctor. Day of the Doctor. I oh, love, you, love, you just love wa- You just watch that as like comfort food, right? Oh, I do. I just watched it the other day. Somebody, this is one of those things where, like, if somebody mentions like Radiohead, I have to go listen to OK Computer. If somebody mentions talking about doc, good Doctor Who episodes, and I just go in, I just yeah. I go straight to the scene with the no sir, all thirteen, and I'm crying. You know, you know, never cowardly or cruel, never give up, never give in. It's the biggest. It's not a good first episode, but the payoff in that episode just keeps coming and coming and coming, and it's it's delightful on so many levels. If you like anything about Doctor Who at all, um, you know John, John that John Hurt he's in uh, he's an alien too, the War Doctor, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I blew my daughter's mind when I said that's the old guy from the Doctor Who episode. <laughs> he's She's also like, no. uh, Ollivander. He's Ollivander. Yeah. Um, so for me, this, yeah, this, why, why you have to be so mean, Lucas? Um, <laughs> I think I'm torn. I, I like, um, uh, you know, I like choosing episodes that are not the ones that everybody chooses. So I'm not going to say like blink or something blink. like that, even though Doctor I, dances? I really do love blink. Um, I'm going to choose midnight, which I would argue is that's a David Tennant episode uh, mm-hmm. by Russell T. Davis. I would argue who's, who's the companion? Who's the companion? That, well, 
It's uh, Donna, but uh, she's not in it other than like the bracketing scenes. It's just David Tennant. And uh, that's the one where they go off in the space truck and it breaks down in the middle of nowhere. And the oh, just like the box, the box episode. Yeah, it's yeah. all inside and, the. And, oh, it's so good. And, and I would say, um, I would say it is like Blink, actually, Twilight yeah. Zone level writing. Like it feels like a Twilight all, Zone all episode. All in one. You don't. You don't need to know all of the history no. and the tapestry of Doctor Who. Like Blink, you can just go in and appreciate this. It's really great to compare it's to chilling. Twilight it's Zone. It's about yeah. human nature. I, you could literally the camera could flip around instead of him going back and talking to Donna about what just happened. The camera could flip around and Rod Serling could could tell you something about <laughs> human nature in that episode, and it is a beautiful thing. And my runner-up is uh, probably Vincent and the Doctor for similar reasons, oh, which is like it's I an anti and cry. It's an anti Doctor. Who episode because there's an obligatory plot about an invisible chicken alien that there but it it really is about depression and about understanding Vincent Van Gogh um, Van Gogh if you want to get something in your throat but then they go and they talk to Bill Nye oh, that's, and I that's, cry that's the and thing cry. is it does what no other Doctor Who episode bothers to do which is they meet a historical figure who's Vincent who is depressed and they know is going to kill himself very soon yeah and, and he's never he's never going to amount to anything yeah. and nobody will remember him yeah because oh. he, like somebody like Emily Dickinson he's a tragic historical figure who's considered to be one of the greatest if not the greatest artist of all time one of the greatest writers of all time somebody like Emily Dickinson but never had any praise in vincent's case like sold one painting um and in the episode it like the plot ends with like 10 minutes left and you're like what are they doing and the answer is they take (laughs) vincent by the hand take him to the future walk into the art gallery with all of his paintings in it talk to bill nye who is the curator of the art gallery and says tell me your opinion of vincent van gogh and he says he's the he's the greatest artist that humanity has ever created and nobody's ever done anything like what he's done and vincent's just sitting there hearing this like and so like finally i you know it's like you will be remembered (sighs) and appreciated for the work that you did in your life and they take him back and of course the other part of it is um the tragedy of it is he was he had a mental illness and he did yeah. kill himself and the, and and i think that is a beautiful message about um it, it, although tragic it's a beautiful message about depression is not something that can be reasoned away even with something as reasonable as you will be the, known as the greatest artist ever it's like he was shown that and it didn't matter because of because of who he was and 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 the disease that he was struggling with so um that's a beautiful episode good, good. but, mid, but, it's, but midnight but it's, is probably my number one but it's like what's the last david tennant is that the end of time yeah yeah it's it's like the it's like the end of time where like it's like something 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 you know <laughs> you know Syrian 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 like there's a whole bunch of like blah blah there's some really kind of crappy TV show and then the ending the last part is so yeah, good yeah the, the, before Don't you that think the, with that one before before that it's a terrible episode and then the last twenty minutes is is episode. is like the goodbye part and the goodbye part is great oh it's just crushing and did you say that when you're waiting in line at the mu- at the museum they they play that. His I don't want to go. Yes, thing at, at on the repeat. Doctor Who Experience, which I went to when it was in London. Now it's in Cardiff. They play that last uh, two minutes on a loop where he walks into the TARDIS and says, "I don't want to go," and it explodes and all that, and then it just starts again and again. And you're standing in that room for like twenty, <laughs> That's thirty so minutes, and it's just all the things you could show. Why don't you show like Christopher Eccleston like celebrating? Like, I'm sure they do something. that now. I'm sure they've moved on from that. But boy, that was a that was a thing. So. There, that's upgrade. We talked about a lot that's of stuff. It. it was a little little change of pace. That's what happens when uh, Mike's not here. 
And when Merlin and is here. you uh, deploy me tactically. Yeah, I appreciate it. The, the tactics thank, you, thank you so much for having me on. I, I never miss an episode, and uh, it's an honor to uh, sit in. Thanks a million for having me. Um, thank you so much for taking time to be here. Um, of course, you can hear Merlin on all his many podcasts, including Reconcilable Differences with John Syracuse, right here. There's the, you're on the back to work. You're on the Roderick on the line. You got you're you're all over the place these days. But I am. But Rectifs is the is the one here at, at Relay. Thank you to our sponsors, Ring and Mac Weldon. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. Mike will be back next week. Um, I think we may actually be back to drafting um, uh, Apple event topics next week. We'll see. But uh, until then, thanks to everybody for listening. We'll see you next week. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. You'll cut that out. Probably. (laughs) Say goodbye, Merlin. (laughs) No. No, I will not. I will not.